Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back in Terabang. Welcome back, Michelle. Um and welcome back to our guest diane welcome back happy halloween everybody yes happy halloween and terabang we have our friend of the podcast should get another status star because this is her third time joining us uh diane is back i'm back for my third guest episode with these two great ladies um if you want any background info um you can please listen to my guest shows uh episodes number 18 and 26 and today is number 33 yes rule of seven is what we have realized (laughs) what you have created very good how appropriate for halloween as well little uh little, little spookiness there uh, welcome in Terabang. Hope you are doing well. Even if you're listening not during Halloween, um, all is well because we have some great fun to get into today. Our topic with just the season of Halloween are scary movies, particularly things that you watch around Halloween, along with their impact on pop culture as well as just your own own lives. I mean, I think Halloween varies in how it's celebrated around the world. It has a long history in different cultures um, and rituals and whatnot. Um, we are all kind of kind of aligned with the United States American traditions around it, especially more in, in modern days with trick or treating and um, you know ghouls and goblins and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of what we'll be touching on, um, particularly movies today. And all about those and how, what we like, what we don't like, things of that nature. Uh, quick disclaimer. So we do recognize there are tons of things and, you know, scary movies, scary TV shows, scary plays. We don't want to discredit and, and, you know, invalidate any of those others that we don't mention in today's episode. We're going to just happen to focus on ones that we've watched or have particularly enjoyed. Um and in addition to that, we also just want to say that, you know, we are doing this episode with respect to the subject material that is mentioned and covered in some of these films and productions, um, because, um, you know, definitely want to be sensitive towards that, especially some of them are quite close to true facts and history. Um, we're approaching this with a sense of kind of respectful, respect and entertainment, kind of trying to say here. Stephanie, is that correct? Yeah, you know, we want to respect the victims and their families if, you know, because they probably went through a really tough time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so for now, we're just going to be focusing on the entertainment and the general ambiance. It's kind of like uh, pervaded through pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I will just say for myself, I might be a little bit quiet in this episode. I have on my cat ears and candles lit. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I am a security cat my whole life. <laughs> um, I I like the fall season, um, kind of where I've lived. There does get a cooler weather and fall colors and crispiness in the air. Um, and I love like pumpkin pie and stuff. But when it comes to scary movies, haunted houses, um, you will not find me there. So um, just want to make that for make that known for myself. 
How about you all? <laughs> well, um, I am opposite of Michelle's viewpoint on scary stuff and Halloween, everything Halloween. I've always uh, loved it and enjoyed it, not just the candy portion, which was also great, the free candy collection uh, and the dress up, but mostly just uh, the thrill of being a little scared, uh, maybe jumping a little bit, um, maybe some of the movies that are my favorites, or as Michelle and Stephanie mentioned, maybe a little too realistic or based partly on true stories, which um, not that anyone should profit or be excited about that. It's just the way they're dramatized um, through Hollywood that makes them more of an entertainment than um, the some of the real horrors mm -hmm. that occurred. So like the girl said, um, the lady said, rather I'm just focusing on the entertainment side of it uh, and how it affected me personally and still does to this day. But all lighthearted, not to worry. Stephanie? Oh, yes. Uh, so for me, I, I, I've seen a couple horror movies. Um, and I've seen a couple horror TV shows. But I don't think I'm the most reactive sort of person. Like, maybe I will be, I don't know if I would be dead within like the first five minutes, just because if some jump scare happens, I just, I'm like, yeah, cool. All right, whatever. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the person next to me would be like screaming their head off. Um, and, and just positively frightened out of their wits and I'm like oh okay and I like try to ultra rationalize things so um, then it becomes less horrifying because I know the unknown if, if that you, you can pardon the expression uh, so yeah somehow like I, I love I don't mind watching horror films but it's the same feeling for me as watching a rom-com but maybe that just means I'm dead inside uh, which, we, which we've which we covered, which we've covered multiple times. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, we've, we've gone through many episodes. Uh, so yeah, that, that could very be a possibility. I'm just stone cold. So we got a nice mix here today in Terrabang. I don't know, where you, were you, uh, Lyat? I do have a quick little question for what Stephanie was saying, just to touch on. In the types of scary films where there's like a group of friends or people and they're all going on a trip or to some destination and bad things end up happening to the group, how long do you think you would survive? Or what kind of what kind of character trope would you be based on how you are in, in real life and thinking how those are in the movies? Oh, so for example, like Stephanie just mentioned, she's not doesn't get very emotional about these things, tends to over-rationalized things, so she would be probably that way. And for Michelle, a self-admitted scaredy cat, yeah. probably would either be just frozen on the spot, on the who'd, scene. Who'd last the longest? Who'd make yeah. it the furthest? Um, I'm going to put myself forward there because I'm a, a mix of both. And uh -huh. I think you need a mix of both you and Stephanie's perspectives to survive you can't just be all one way or the other so I think you kind of have to roll with it but then have some serious thoughts like oh gosh I really do need to get out of here or I really need to have some survival tactics but at the same time you know you you can't I can't not I cannot just uh, be oblivious to everything that happens even though when I do walk into haunted houses that are put on for entertainment by various groups, um, I do find that kind of funny. 
uh, but not completely funny. I mean, I do what? get scared. I do have Sorry. some scared moments when the, I'm not expecting a jump person, but I usually start laughing instead of screaming. You know what? And I agree with you. So, <laughs> not that I really think it's funny, yeah. per se, but there's just the reaction that comes out of me sounds like scared to death, but kind of funny. So, uh, but I don't speak or anything. Like I don't say good job or, you know, whatever. I just, <laughs> I just tip them. you don't tip them. Here's don't the tip thing. Them. I just am a little scared and then I just keep going to the next scary moment or mirror or someone that touches my sleeve or whatever. Cause I'm just, I'm kind of expecting it, but then when it actually happens, I still jump. Here's the thing though. I'm like, Oh, that's a good job. They really made me think like rats are going through my ankles with that wind that they're like brushing through the ankles. Yeah. Yeah. And and then someone like tapping you on the shoulder. And of course, like I said, people are screaming their heads off and I just kind of want to give that person who's like the tapper, like a big hug because you know, this person gets screamers in his face or her face all day. And, you know, I'm sure they could do with a little hug every now and then. <laughs> yeah, although I don't think that's what they're going for when they're doing that job. <laughs> they're hoping what? to scare the, the, yeah. the living daylights out of people and they get thrilled. You know, just like the rest of us. You know, they're not actual serial killers. They're playing the role of one. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you hope they're not really one in real life, too. They're not getting <laughs> ideas or inspiration. <laughs> yeah. But maybe they kind of became that way because, you know, they weren't cared for. So maybe like a little TLC could, could you not fix <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I don't know. Just where you're, yeah, I see what you're, what you, what you're, what you said, Stephanie, about how you think things pretty, yeah, you can really go into that thinking <laughs> in the background. It's not logical. I think yeah. back to the movie question. I think for me, I would technically last the longest because I would be the person that once they sensed even the slightest amount of like suspicion, I'd be out of there. So I would be, oh, like, I would, if I wouldn't be the longest in the movie, I'd be the longest surviving in general because I would have like five minutes of screen time and then just bounce. You're gone. <laughs> And then yeah. you go to the epilogue and you're like sitting in some a lovely island. Yeah, I'm, I'm like across other side of the world type yeah. of thing. Yeah, um, that, that makes sense actually. You escape, you're one of the first people to yeah, escape say, before right. you stuck around and found out what was sailing. really going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't take much for you to escape out of that situation, I suppose. No, no, not me. Um, so yeah, so I guess trying to get into the, yeah, again, the topic here. So movies, um, what are you kind of, so we have categories, right? There's the gore, there's a slasher, thriller, maybe more mystery. Like serial psychological killers. Thrillers, yeah, serial killers, monsters, like paranormal stuff. Um, it's just the monsters, like creatures, like Frankenstein, aliens, aliens Dracula. Um, no, sometimes it's, they don't even show the creature. It's just like, yeah, Except. like in like in the mist or like the fog. Yeah. It's just like yeah. it's like nature type of uh-huh. thing. Um, so what are y'all's kind of what what types of genres of horror films do you tend to prefer? Um, I'm not a fan of the slasher or the gore or the um, serial killers. I mean, not, I do like watching some of those serial killer shows, but mostly because they turn into mysteries after a while. Um, the first couple of killings are always horrific and it's hard to get through that. But then when you realize that the investigators are out to capture this real life monster, 
um, it becomes more of a mystery and, you know, looking for their capture. Um, so I prefer, uh, as far as scary movies, just a good old fashioned ghost story. Um, no aliens, you know, no monsters, just pure ghosts. And a, the story behind it, like why is it haunting people? Um, so that could be realistic or fantasy. It could go either way, depending on people's imaginations, I suppose. But there's an element of realism to it, um, you know, that's unexplainable. So just that little, that, that portion of it being unexplained is enough to captivate me. Can you list some titles? So just in Terabang and we can get an idea of what, what, what are some of your faves? I think you said yeah, the top 10 I, list. I compiled the top 10 movie list based on what I just <clears throat> mentioned. Um, not in any particular order. Um, these are all movies that are original. Um, so they date back to either the early 80s, 70s, some in the 60s. So you may want to, if you're interested in learning more about each one, you may want to Google the titles and get a, see a trailer or get a background story. So I'll just briefly touch on each title <clears throat> and my comment on it. My, the first one on my top 10 scary list is called Ghost Story, uh, made in 1981. Uh, it's truly a classic ghost haunting story, and it has a great cast of old actors. Um, and a lot of people won't be familiar with them because they were famous back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. But they're great actors nonetheless. And the story is actually quite good. It's based on a book by the author Peter Straub. Um, and he actually wrote a few other stories that I don't know if they were turned into movies or not. But anyway, uh, so um, it's, it's there's a, a true story behind. Well, I don't think it's a true story actuality, but there is a a reason for this ghost that's haunting this group of old friends uh, from their youth. So they, um, that comes back to haunt them in their older years. Um, so it's, it's quite good. Second, uh, is Psycho, the classic Alfred Hitchcock thriller uh, from the 1960s. Um, yeah. And um, classic it, for sure. Yeah. And it's one of those movies that, afterwards uh, makes you not want to take a shower by yourself <laughs> yeah just to add to that so for me i first watched psycho like growing up with my family at home like on the tv and terrified oh yes shower moments for sure scary but i actually later watched it in like a historical theater in a place i was living like in my college years with a crowd of people and it was so different to see it in the movie theater in an old theater like that on the big screen and with an audience because such a well-known film with the audience that everyone knew what was going to happen pretty much but it was just interesting to have that community with you yeah yeah and it was actually i really enjoyed it much more um it helped that i'd seen it quite a bit so i was prepared when they cover my eyes but uh, uh -huh. yeah great ending too a twisted ending but very good Mm -hmm. That, once again, an original classic, and um, it was, you know, risque for the times. Um, but I like that film, too, because you, great directing decision, you for, like, the whole first 20 minutes, you think mm -hmm. matter, but they actually don't matter at all. The whole premise and setup for the story 
of, mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away, but you know, you, you're listening and you're picking up clues. Okay. This is what this character is doing, the protagonist. And then after that, you later on in the movie, none of that even mattered. It was right. The and main seems- part of the film is actually kicks up, you know, a third of the way through. I right. Think- and it, it, it tends to seem after the big uh, scene in the first 20 minutes uh, that people remember the most. Um, it, it, almost lends itself to like, well, why am I going to bother watching the rest of this movie? Cause it looks like the main things event is already happening happened. Yeah. And, but once again, with a good backstory, um, it comes to greater light. Yeah. In the, um, like fun, fun filming fact, um, when they were filming the shower scene, um, the act- uh, who's the director? Was it uh, Alfred Hitchcock? Alfred Hitchcock. Uh huh. Yeah. So he made the actress film that scene like forty something times, yeah. and um, she just kept, you know, like emitting a sound um, repeatedly. And and since then, she could never like look at a shower, or, like do the same thing again. Like she was just yeah, traumatized from from this experience. So it like even pervaded through her normal life too. Um, not through like the celebrity or fame that we come to know of like most actors and actresses, but literally from filming this one scene, which yeah, I wish she could take a shower for a long time. And actually, Janet <laughs> Lee was the actress, and she's the mother of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, really? I yes. Not- yeah. So another yeah. scream queen, as they were called <laughs> in the day. <laughs> in her blood. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, my next oh, and the the thing the musical score to that psycho is also classic and haunting. Just yeah. whenever you hear the music in the beginning of the movie, it's very creepy. So that helps set the tone for another sort of basic story, but like I said, with a big twist that you're not really expecting uh, in it. Well, I wasn't, so it's more than just uh, like I said, just a one-dimensional horror story. Mm-hmm. So my third uh, movie on the list is uh, When a Stranger Calls. And this is on my I, list. Okay. And it originally was made um, in the late 1970s. It's when I first, um, oh, I saw that version first. Uh, they replayed it and, um, and then it was remade in the early 90s. So what I liked about that and movie. And 2000s. It's been made. Oh no! Like, it was two thousand and six. Yeah, it, it's been made one. for more than one generation, which I think is okay. cool. Yeah. So the original was in seventy nine, and then the remake was in oh six, two thousand six. And great premise, simple again, um, babysitter in a nice home, um, you know, watching of kids while the wealthy parents go out to dinner or wherever movie. Just typical um, babysitter, high school person, uh, girl. And then the phone calls she keeps receiving throughout the night. The hang-ups, the breathing, the heavy breathing, obscene calls without much of a, of a voice until the toward her, towards the end. Um, just terrifies you. Every time the phone rings, it just scares you to death without anything else happening. Um, and the you know the room is dark and it's seemingly nice and uh, like I said a nice home, but that phone just makes you jump every time. The is phone it because you don't know who's calling or you don't know what to expect or it's well like... the call is the 
the, the killer, the villain yeah. on the other end. And but in this, but part of the time, some of her friends are calling her because she's yeah, you don't know to, who's calling. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So she answers every time, not knowing, or it could be the parents calling to check up on the kids. So she has to answer the phone every time because she doesn't know who it's going to be. Okay. So, yeah. So it's a go ahead. One thing I like because I watched the newer version when I was growing up, and I was actually babysitting at the time too <laughs> in my life. Um, yeah. as kind of like a preteen and so this is on my list of favorite movies because I do enjoy scary movies that I feel actually teach you kind of like real life lessons a little bit in a way to like introduce ideas to of like things to watch out for and be on the lookout for for like safety mm -hmm. um, but I put that in a category of like quote-unquote phone call scary movies where okay. the, the scary part isn't necessarily like the villain or the killer it's the phone call Right. Because when you hear that phone ring, your heart just drops. Right. So, and these are films that I think are better to watch at home versus in the theater because you're at home. And I feel it's better when there were landlines because and actually the house phone could ring. Maybe if you have your cell phone now and you have it not on silent. But I remember so there was Wind Stranger Calls, The Ring, right? Because that was the thing mm -hmm. of you would watch the, the premises, you watch this scary random film and then your phone rings right after and it's like the, the person saying, you're going to die in seven days. Um, and it's a countdown. And then the other one is like scream. You know, when you hear that phone ring, your heart sinks. So I feel like that's that was a great like movie making aspect because that's like the, your phone can ring any time and you don't know who's on the other end, especially if you're home alone at night, especially if you're babysitting. And plus, like you said, having a landline, you didn't have caller ID back then. Nope. Yeah. And so you had no idea who was calling. So you had to pick it up. Like I said earlier, because you're not yeah. sure if it's the parents, one of your friends coming over, or just checking in, or if it's a killer. So yeah. if you, you have, have friends, why don't you just move to the friend's place? There's <laughs> many avenues to get out of the situation. When you're babysitting? But you're babysitting, so you can't Bring leave. the baby! Yeah, yeah. Bring the, you can't bring the kids? Yeah. The parents will be upset. Yes, why did have you move my child? House. Or what? They, what if you had a car accident? A murder guy that's threatening. To, I think that's justification enough to relocate to a different location. Well, I think in, I think what those movies did also is that the houses were located in like far away remote areas. areas. Oh, you like, said rem friends are going to come and visit. So they're like remote mansions or something. Yeah, I remember yeah. one of them. It was that the friend came over, but there was like a house party. So that they just popped in to say hi and then like left to go to the house party or something. Yeah, yeah. They something like that. House party. And then you can keep the kids in like a you know, one of the quieter bedrooms while the party's going on now. Oh, because that oh that would get you great babysitting scores. Yeah, yeah bring yeah, the kids to a, a, a teen house party. Yeah. <laughs> baby, better than the baby being dead, you know, when the parents But, but you don't know that that's you don't happen. know. Yeah, it's it's you never know for sure until it's too late that right. it's actually malicious intent from this person calling the house and plus in the movies you know the parents would say oh the kids haven't been feeling well so let them sleep don't disturb yeah. them you know let's let them sleep and you know so don't keep opening the door to check so that's kind of they set that up that way so you don't want to move them you so who's the killer really after is the killer after the babysitter the kid or the parents uh babysitter yeah just because they look cute or something. Yeah, they I were. Like, it was. It was like a kind of a somewhat of a stalking. Yeah. Okay. 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 So yeah. the kids okay. fine. 
yes. literally person yeah. who eat but then you know they just kind of they're crazy so they'll kill anybody at that yeah. point anybody else okay next movie number four is <laughs> i mean to rag on on you that's <laughs> <laughs> okay is number uh my number four movie is halloween uh the original came out in 76 I saw it for the first time in when I was in college on a second date with my now husband in 1978, uh, September. Whose decision was that? Mine. You were because like, second I, date, let's go see the scary movie. Yes, because as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm always a big horror movie fan. I would read all the Alfred Hitchcock books, and I was really into that um, as younger, as a young child. And um, and he rolled so, with yeah. that. That was not a red flag for him. That'd be a red flag for uh, me. No, because the person I just that was like, let's go see a killer movie. Well, we didn't know it's going to be quite like it was. <laughs> we he just thought it was some. It was a low budget movie, so we just figured it was some B rated horror movie that's kind of maybe a little hokey, but okay, whatever. So didn't think it had you know huge. It was not a huge buildup uh, in the media. Didn't have you know big director or big studios behind it so there was not a lot of publicity and press uh going into it so you're just thinking okay college movie college town sounds good second date okay whatever well that turned out to be one of the scariest movies i have ever seen to this date um uh, pleasantly surprised because like i said it was had low expectations uh low budget um but it had uh, some realism to it, um, that which always scares me when there's an element of realism to a movie. Like, this could really happen. Maybe a little bit far-fetched, but it could happen. So that always scares me even more. Um, but, uh, yeah, we watched it. And a little personal tidbit. Uh, my older sister was visiting me that weekend. And... My date uh, was happy for her to come along and eat dinner and have them go see a movie because she too enjoyed scary movies. So I thought, um, but um, she was more of an emotional type than of logical type. I was the more logical. Um, but anyway, so at the end of the movie, you know, we're all I practically jumped into my date's lap. Classic. Um, during Classic. the movie, I clawed his arm practically to shreds. Um, and like I said, we didn't know each other. We were basically classmates. So I was not trying to put any big moves on him. I was trying to restrain myself, but it was just beyond the pale. I just couldn't. And, um, at the end of the movie, uh, the person sitting behind my sister in the movie theater tapped her on the shoulder. It was still dark. The credits were rolling and she just about, she jumped and screamed, and jumped so high out of her seat, it was almost as if there was an ejection button under her seat. <laughs> and it was just some random person that was watching the movie, too. We don't know who it was. And then that, the lights came up, and the person apologized because didn't realize. They're just trying to be funny, but they didn't realize the effect it was going to have on her. So, yeah. so big. But, um, yeah, uh, I subsequently watched the franchise with all the remakes, Um it's There's been some really, offshoots, and sometimes there are like the main cast and director, and it it and a lot of the uh, subsequent movies in the franchise after the original, it was not the same director, and so um, that changed hands a couple of times. So the quality was not there of the original, 
But last night, it was the original director, a lot of the original cast when I watched Halloween Kills. I watched it at home uh, alone because my husband didn't want to watch. And uh, <laughs> He's I was wiser now, I guess. I suppose. And I was just dying to see because, like I said, same director, same music, a lot of the same original cast members. And um, a little more backstory to what actually, how the characters were affected and were developed, had developed over time, which I like backstory character development. So yeah, it was good. I was, I was pleased. Um, had a few jump scares, but, um, and you know, it's coming, but then it comes and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming, even though I should have. <laughs> Cause by all these years later, you have a pretty good idea. But still, they still managed to grab you a few times. So I highly recommend the original and the one 40 years later, last night, Halloween Kills. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, the music is haunting, um, which yes. starts the movie off. And it's, once again, a simple tune, but original, classic. And all you have to do is hear uh, 30, minutes, 30 seconds of that song, and you just start getting freaked out and the hair on the back of your neck sticks up and, and your arm and you're like, okay, I don't even need to see a visual to be scared. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number five on my top 10 scary list of movies uh, is the Omen. The original was back in 1976, had some, once again, great actors um, and made you even more scared of little boys who could stare you down and black Rottweilers. What's another franchise film? That's another franchise film. Another franchise film. That was the first of a few um, and the I best. I well, I remember, and I felt that like they could pass it up when they released the one on 666 in 2006. I know oh. everyone, I know that wasn't the most popular, but I thought that was, was interesting that they did have, they did release. I think it was more of a remake more so. But mm -hmm. I I remember those films were kind of neat because they're kind of that genre where it's like a little mystery and like codes and piecing things together. Mm -hmm. More of a and puzzle. Puzzle and pulling kind of some historical aspects into it. Mm -hmm. Yes, history. So yes, was, so that was interesting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, number six is a movie from the 1960s called "I Saw What You Did." And it, once again, it's one of those uh, landline scary movies where uh, a group of uh, two girlfriends are uh, at a sleepover. And uh, this is a game we used to play when I was younger doing sleepovers is we had a public telephone book uh, directory and it had lists of business, local businesses and people's names, phone numbers and addresses families it just had like the, the head of the family so not all the kids names or anything so uh, but they had an address and they had a phone number so you would randomly just open the book close your eyes and point to an, to the page and come upon a name and just dial it randomly and before caller ID um, or any other technology other than a landline and um, you know make a prank call basically to someone in the book, random name, and say a prank phrase like, um, uh, for example, uh, I, as in this movie, the title is, you know, I know who you are and I saw what you did. 
and just hang up and laugh oh. and call the next person. And so apparently in the movie, these girls just doing harmless phone call pranks stumbled across somebody who had actually, who actually cried. something bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it's all re- in a residential neighborhood, middle class neighborhood, and thought somebody actually did see what he did, like through a window or walking past or driving by. And somehow he was able to figure out where the call was coming from. And so he tried to take care of the callers that way. Oh boy. I'll just leave you with that. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Number seven is Carrie. Um, I think it's a <gasps> Stephen King movie. I'm not sure. Yes, I think it, it is. is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. uh, yeah. And it's also, again, um, from the 70s and 76. And uh, good director, Brian De Palma, in those days. He was very graphic with mysteries and murders. Um, great acting. Sissy Spacek. And it's basically a uh, common theme story about mean girls in a high school uh, bullying a girl who's not as popular. For well, even bigger reasons. picture, I think it's the premise of a person who is bullied by society and yes. that they channel outcast. that anger and they're yes. outcast and channel that anger and abuse into becoming very powerful in some way and yeah, having mentally. revenge. Yes, yeah. yeah. Some so kind it's of a revenge story with revenge mental story, yeah. abilities that are uh, out of the ordinary. Yeah, so they get their due. And whether, what, and whether or not, who do you side with? You know, when you who do you side with the person who was you know, seeking retaliation, or do you tend to side with the people who are like, okay, they were mean, but they didn't deserve that kind of punishment? Or, well, the issue there is, you know, the mean group, uh, the bullies got what they deserved, but unfortunately caught up in it were people that were tra- kind to, to the girl. Right. And they got, they all got, uh, uh, I won't give away the ending, but they were all affected. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Good and bad. So that was kind of, so some mixed feelings on that. I always thought it was interesting kind of like moral compass test of like, who do yeah. you, who do you side with there? Yeah, and also she had a, a tough upbringing, so there's a lot of other elements besides just being socially unacceptable. Little background story there too. Uh, number eight, The Exorcist, uh, 1973. Um, the song in itself is very creepy, and the hype of the movie back then was it was banned in many countries. Um, it was, you couldn't be underage to see it. I think it had an R rating, uh, mostly for the scare factor, I suppose. And I know, then. I know filming actually while filming it, there were several bizarre, unfortunate incidents. Yeah. Like, episodes to the cast and crew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I given the appearance that it was like a haunted set, uh. was, like there were spirits beyond them. It wasn't like a freshly built set for the movie. Like they used some pre-existing like haunted mansion structure kind of thing. It was both. Uh, it was a mix of both. Yeah, both. So it wasn't like in a haunted house or anything like that or a haunted location per se. But it just seemed to get um, like that over filming. And I think a lot of the, the hype at the time, because there was nothing like it then other than the Hitchcock movies. Uh, this was a new twist um, way before slasher or serial killer movies or gory. 
Um, and it just scared a lot of people because it had an element of religion in it too. And so that was a realistic element um, component. And it was a part of religious uh, religious activity that was uh, hidden within the church itself. So it wasn't, it was known, but not widely explored. So there was like kind of a taboo to it that way. Um, but yeah, and the music was just phenomenal. Just a few bars of the piano keys and you were out <laughs> or you felt like it. Uh, two more to go. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Back to the extras and the special effects at the time, which they didn't have computer graphics at that time uh, or computer engineering. So uh, that was quite amazing. The graphic, I mean, the effects, special effects. Um, okay. Number nine, Amityville Horror. Trues, based on a true story in uh, upstate New York, Real House. Um, I really it, regret doing this podcast recording at night. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> oh, you're, yeah. Each, each, each movie title you're bringing up and subject matter, I'm like, oh, man, this is a bet. We should have done this at like one in the afternoon. Bright, sunny day. Yeah. Uh, Amityville Horror, uh, 1973, I think. Um, interesting fact about that, besides a real family, true story, haunted house, um, not so much an old house, an older home, but not ain't not centuries old. Um, the investigators, the real life investigator, investigative couple, spirit, like a spiritualist, perhaps I don't know what the proper term is. Um, basically, uh, they in investigate hauntings, um, and they're not religious per se. They're not from a church or anything. They're just a couple. Uh, real life couple, the Warrens, they also are the same couple that investigated the house in the movie, The Conjuring. Conjuring and Annabelle and the now, yeah, they're doing, there's a whole series now. Yeah, there's yeah. a series of The Conjuring movies, but they were yeah. also the investigators of the Amityville Horror House. And the house was like, I wonder if that was like marriage counseling for them. I don't know. The house still stands and there is a family living in it, not the family from the movie. Could you say that they were uh, Ghostbusters? Uh, <laughs> I think so, but not in a comical sense. Sure, sure. They weren't <laughs> the ghosts, they were just investigating. Yeah, the paranormal, yeah. parapsychology, that more yeah. of that kind of thing. Okay, last on my top 10 list is Sleepy Hollow. Uh, I think that was 1999, Tim Burton, um, Johnny Depp. Uh, it's the old story of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman back from Sleepy Hollow, which is about an hour north of New York City. Real town, real bridge. Um, I think Michelle mentioned she had been there last Halloween. We were talking, yeah, before we record this episode, yeah, when we are Reviewing, yeah. I, I have been there uh, recently. Um, it's interesting. I don't want to, like, ruin the surprise. Like, I do recommend people go. Um, but it's cool to... There. What was that? Did they have a lot of pumpkins there when you visited? They do have a lot of pumpkins there. They do okay. have a couple different like, places you can get pumpkins. Um, I always... Course. Sorry? Par for the course. Exactly, exactly. I thought that was always an interesting tale, because something that I like to touch on is the yeah, book adaptations of you know, things that maybe they're short stories like that's, that's a shorter story and I think that's 
The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is particularly interesting because it's an example of kind of early American literature. You know, it's it's based on a European tale, but they adapted it to fit the times of like the American Revolution, that the Headless Horseman is like a Hessian soldier that was injured and killed in the, during the American Revolution um, and has its actual real setting. Um, it was also just, I think, the style of writing was also very, you know, this newer type of writing that was American. Um, I thought was interesting. So I feel like, yeah, so it's like, that's a bit of a shorter story. Diane, you mentioned like Stephen King with Harry, and I thought, you know, he's done so many, you know, his books are so long and lengthy and detailed. Right. Um, but he's had a lot of the movie adaptations of his books. Oh, I feel yes. like they're so different. I think yeah, they're all so different. The Shining, Cujo, Pet Cemetery, just to name a few. It. Children of the Corn. Yeah. Um, and yes, uh, most of it is because he's a Maine resident. Most of his stories take place in Maine. Um, but but yes, he's run a big variety. And Washington Irving was the author of uh, The Headless Horseman. Yeah. He's got a nice mansion near Sleepy Hollow, too. You can still visit. Oh, okay. So they, it's they, like his summer house or something. So they have tribute to him there, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, for Stephen King, something I always thought was cool from, I've not yet read it, but, you know, The Shining how he wrote it where the book like really takes place in the Stanley yeah. Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Near Boulder, yes. Visited there. Took a tour of it. Oh, you've been? Yes. Be uh, really, um, when you walk through the hotel, it was a ghost tour. Uh, didn't see any ghosts, but when you walk through portions of the hotel, you can see how they made The Shining. It looks just like it. Was but the film I found made out there as well? No, I found out on the tour that the director, Stanley Kubrick, was afraid of flying, and he lived in England, outside of London somewhere. So they have studios outside of London. I forgot the name of the studios. Oh, so they had a Pinewood, maybe. Yeah, so he built a replica set. Of, uh, they of the shot a lot of the, the Stanley Hotel. Yeah, of the Stanley Hotel, so he didn't have to travel wow. to Colorado to actually go. Because I, he wish I, was, a, I wish I was that good plane. in my field where I didn't have to travel and everyone would come to me yeah because he had a huge fear of flying and so he wouldn't so they, leave so he the filmed UK. all of it in colorado or all of it in the uk he didn't film anything yes in i think they did probably probably exterior shots they I did exterior shots yeah of the real place but he wasn't he wouldn't come go for that i mean he physically would not get on a uh, transcontinental okay. flight that's fascinating. I, I don't know if he would fly anywhere but definitely not overseas I wasn't sure if they like shot some at like Colorado and shot some somewhere else because um, I saw this. This is the one horror film that you have mentioned that I have actually seen. <laughs> um, that's why I haven't been speaking so much. Um, but there, uh, there, there was like a YouTube video that pointed out all the differences in like various shots. Like, say, two characters are talking to each other, and then there's like an over the shoulder of character A, and then over the shoulder of character B to show that they're talking. But then you can see different props or different things um, being present in one but not present in the other. And so the theory was like, you know, part of this is in character A's imagination. Uh, and character B is like, you know, the result of what character A thinks. And that's why certain things don't line up. It's very interesting. We may link it, um, but please only watch it if you've seen the movie. Otherwise, it's going to spoil some goody treats. Mm -hmm. for you. Spoiler alert. Indeed. Yeah. But it's a very interesting theory. 
Yeah, so like, for example, Psycho was filmed on the studio lot, replica of the house in the Bates Motel, and that's part of a studio tour. And um, I think uh, I think Michelle said you'd been on that some time ago. Oh yeah, it's a little tram tour you can take. We go through different sets like War of the Worlds and Psycho and parts of like Jurassic Park. And yes, you when you're going the little Universal Studios tram and they pass by, they're like, oh, up on that hill, you can see the house that was used in Psycho. And if you look in the window, they have like a, um, you know, you can see like the, the mom, her silhouette in the rocking chair, like in the movie. Um, and then they actually have a real life actor as Norman Bates, who um, comes running out and chases the tram with a knife while the music is playing in the little like tram speakers. It seems cheesy, but I promise you, like you're like, oh, that's so hysterical and, and like corny. But then actually it's a little bit weird. It actually kind of like gets to you a little bit because he's like, he gets and like grabs onto the back of the tram. So if you're in the back row or something, you're like, oh. And oh he's in, is he wearing the full mother's costume? No, he's wearing like his Norman Bates. Oh, his, okay. Well, because that's, yeah, as in the movie. Yeah. His, oh, okay. His you know what? That makes so much sense to me because um, I haven't seen Psycho yet, but I have seen the prequel TV show <laughs> that um, they made uh, post um, with Freddie Highmore as Norman Bates. Um, and he was giving the tour for the Bates Motel, um, but, you know, mm -hmm. dressed as he was, uh, I guess, in like teenager form. Um, just kind of like giving the tour and I didn't get the set like I wasn't creeped out because I don't have that full context but maybe had I seen the original film as well oh, highly recommend yeah uh, that would have you know like like you said made a lot of things click more um, but that's pretty cool I think one thing I want to get into a little bit for <laughs> horror films is and I was just thinking to myself I couldn't come up with a list so the scary things, what goes bump in the night, the scarier things happening at night, in the dark, why, how it taps into this like human nature aspect of like darkness is scary because we tend to be more visual creatures. Um, but a film that I think is interesting is um, a few years old now, and the, the sequel came out recently, is The Quiet Place, where it emphasizes more on sound versus visual and I think like the quote unquote like scary things happen throughout day and night 24 hour cycle it's not like because sometimes when you're watching a film when the when it's sunny and it's bright outside you're like oh I'm safe I can relax this is just like regular plot line development but when it gets dark then I have to like you know get get ready for something scary to happen it's rare for there to be a scary thing in the daylight but I think uh, directed by uh, John Krasinski and his wife Emily Brunt started starting it with him. Um, I thought that was a great take on tapping into how other senses can be scary because like there's scary music and sound effects like the you know the, the jarring pop-up noise or whatever but I liked how that was a film that like just the whole film emphasized on sound. I've um, never seen that film. I heard of it um, and I think they made a sequel but I've never seen it. I have just watched it as my one homework leading up to this episode. <laughs> I've uh, watched both of them. I literally just finished the last one before we recorded this podcast. The second one, sorry. Um, I can highly recommend it. The The ambiance that they create is very good. And like the storyline, usually you get like one or the other. And I quite enjoyed both the storyline as well as the ambiance and like just general setup of the unknown the eerie the disturbing um juxtaposed with like the character development and, and stuff like that so 
That was pretty good. Hmm. Have to yeah. give it a try. Yeah, it's the sequel, but I really like the first one. Yeah. Um, that one was, like you said, it was like genre-breaking, like pioneering for the time. Yeah. Like one of your earlier ones, Diana. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this one is is definitely probably going to set the way for possibly. Oh, okay. You know, um, but only time will tell, so who knows? Yeah. And I think another, another cool aspect to, to touch on that I was thinking about this whole topic um, are like the makeup, the practical effects, special mm-hmm. effects, makeup. Um, so a name that two so names much. come to mind for me. Sorry. They've improved so much over the past decades, you know? Well, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, yes and no. I feel okay. like some of the early days in practical effects and makeup are pretty phenomenal. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the like, thing. Um, or or the of, exorcist. The exorcist, I think still is, because they don't use, rely on CGI. And for some reason right. that still gets picked visceral. up. Okay. Very visceral, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or some so, of the really early horror movies like Dracula. Nosferatu is uses yeah. great aspect of camera angle and lighting mm-hmm. and shadow to really bring in the, the fear. And that's a silent film, right? Yeah, and, from the 20s. I think it's 1922. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was really scary. I, I, I didn't go back that far on my still, list but still scary to me yeah dracula and you know the werewolf and all those back mm-hmm. then were really scary the makeup especially was quite good for the time and i think it was also a great touch on physical theater that the actors had to mm-hmm. portray they had to contort their bodies because they couldn't because they couldn't rely on so many prosthetics contort mm-hmm. their bodies wear certain like costumes and hold these poses that were really weird and uncomfortable to give this like that ghoulish look or whatever mm-hmm. um, aspect, which I think is, which is amazing. Um, I wanted to just give a shout out to two names that I know of in that industry, in that field. Um, Rob Batten, Batten. Um, so he's known for doing a lot of practical effects. He's worked with, um, like John Carpenter on The Thing and The Fog, um, as well as like mm-hmm. David Fincher for like Seven, which is not is more of like a mystery, scary film, um, or Fight Club. But I just think some of the stuff he's been able to do with robotics and like animatronics and stuff is just phenomenal. Of uh, you, sometimes you have just like on its own animatronic thing, or you have like an attachment to the actor. And I always think it's curious how the actor like plays with that, like extra appendage alien arm or something i think is bizarre because it's like you see the actors like you and how what what parts of the actor it still shows so you still feel this human connection they might still show like their eyes are as they used to be but then they have like something going on with their limbs or whatever um another name i wanted to mention is doug jones um he is an actor that you might not know what he looks like in person because he's usually covered up in some way um you know he's been in movies like pan's labyrinth like the creature that had like the eyes in the palms he's been in crimson peak he's been in um shape of water he was like the the, the water being um hell you know, hell hellboy sorry i think i work with someone who knows him personally so oh, that's wow. cool. what <laughs> yeah what part did he Go play in Crimson Peak? One of the um, ghoul so. things. He always he's oh. always in full he's always in full costume of some kind. 
Okay. Um, he's like, I think he's about six, four or something, but just, he's very lanky and is able to just move a certain way. And so you can just kind of cover him in some, something and he just gets disguised. So he's Doug Jones. I would, yeah. Those are two names I definitely wanted to touch on. Um, but yeah, for you, Stephanie, I feel like we haven't heard from you. I don't know. I'd be like, I've been talking a lot, but like what for you, like, even if you haven't seen many horror films, what are some of your favorite aspects? Like, is it like seeing it in a theater or like noticing special effects, sound editing, storyline? Uh, I think it's the eerie element, like the suspense, the ambiance of um, perhaps it's like the, the soundtrack behind it or the total silence. Um, plot has to be solid. If it's, I'm just waiting for the next kill, it's uh, a little bit dull because I'm just, ex- it's, it's a little formulate to me, the scary movie uh, setup because, you know, there's like happy lull moments and then you're expecting for the action to happen and after the action, there's another lull moment. And so it just kind of comes and goes in cycles and that kind of bores me usually. Sorry, I know this is probably not the greatest audience. So, you, so you um, don't you don't go see a scary movie just to like just for the sake of seeing a scary movie. Like it correct. actually needs to be good. You don't just say, yes. "Oh, it's Halloween. Let me just see what's showing in theaters." Correct. Yeah, it needs to be solid and, and, and you know, like be actually eerie. Like you mentioned, it's it's uh, helpful when you don't know what the thing is um, specifically, uh, what's causing that horror. Uh, you know. Um, Maybe they reveal at the end, but like the look is always a little bit more disappointing when your imagination um, kind of is able to to create. So sometimes just leaving it literally unknown, like you said, you know, like leaving it in the dark, quite literally, that could be the most haunting um, of yeah. uh, uh, storylines to me. And maybe then that's worth it. Um, I mean, I, I like you said, we're not going to touch too much on TV shows, but I do watch a fair amount of TV shows that deal with like supernatural elements, you know, like ghosts or vampires or werewolves and all that stuff. However, um, I feel like I enjoy them most when they're subverting the genre. (laughs) So when they, it's like they acknowledge, yes, you know, we're horror, but also let's throw in some comedy. Let's throw in some, you know, like extra um, element of uh, danger, but not from like you know we're all gonna die, but more like action here. You know, like there's it's horror plus something else. You know, so it's like dark comedy. You know, um, I said that already, but you know, <laughs> so like Shaun of the Dead almost. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not my favorite. It kind of dulls me. But there's like um, Lamo. Ghosts, I think, is is a great TV show. Um, it's again, I'm sorry, I, I watch a lot more TV shows than I do movies. Um, but it, it it's about ghosts who haunt a house, but they're just benevolent. Like they just happen to die in unfortunate ways, and you know they're so called quote unquote haunting the new couple that lives there. But and only um, one of them can hear them because she's like a descendant of the original owner. But really, they're just they're just kind, helpful souls who just want to be helpful, but they're out of their time, you know, like one lady is from the Victorian era, and whenever, you know, like anyone shows so much as more than a wrist, she's like scandalized. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, she's, she's very sweet at heart, um, and, you know, she just wants to be helpful and like bake cookies, but she's not great at it, you know. Um, <laughs> 
and and there's one that's like a caveman and so his like language is not great because obviously english was not a thing and he likes to howl at the moon because that's what his wolf buddies did but actually he's like of of all the 12 ghosts he's like the most um scientifically minded of them because he like figured out out how fire worked before people knew what fire was a thing um and like mm. he figure out electricity now in the modern time anyways so um talking too much about like the set of the tv show but it's just like genre bending things like that like where they combine different elements together um so yeah i think one one tv show that's here that i like is american horror story i've watched pretty much like all seasons i uh, yes. i feel like it's a good introduction uh for people to know what makes you tick and and hair stand up on Maybe back I of your neck because each season kind of touches on a different category of horror. So whether it's like scary clowns or like haunted house or mental asylum, um, which is um, apocalypse. You know? So I feel like by watching that, you're like, this doesn't really affect me. It's cool, but like, I'm not super scared. But in other seasons, you're like this. So I feel like it makes it great because people will argue which is the best season. And yeah, maybe objectively you could assess them on like how the storyline goes and something that tends to be mainly on the subject matter. Uh, so people might say, oh, this season was scary. It's like, well, no, that's because you're biased because you tend to be scared more by that specific thing. You know um, what? I'm going to set that as my homework. So next Halloween... We'll, we can maybe touch back on this again. <laughs> See where I'm at. Because um, I feel like I've watched a lot of YouTubers deal with video games that kind of deal with some of those topics. And it's mm-hmm. just so um, prevalent in, in modern pop culture these days. I don't know if I would be affected. But we'll see. Fun times. There used to be another show I liked, a uh, TV show called in the 70s called The Night Stalker. Okay. Uh, and it was uh, a private. I mean, it was a private investigator investigating. Uh, he didn't realize more supernatural crimes, uh, and so he was always trying to capture this criminal, not knowing if he was a real life criminal or a little bit of the supernatural. So it was always uh, kind of interesting how that occurred. And um, and the other show I like more recently was called Supernatural, and that ran for about 16 seasons. And I only discovered it in the last couple of years. Um, and it kind of was the same that were like two investigative uh, brothers that would investigate paranormal activity. Um, and sometimes it was, like you said, Stephanie, benevolent ghosts, benevolent ghosts, and sometimes not. But so that had a little bit of a mix and a good little storyline to it. Not necessarily scary a little bit but more of a story and if i had to pick an 11th or squeeze something else into my top 10 movie list it would be crimson peak because it's like a gothic romance set turn of the century victorian england or well maybe not victorian yeah turn of the century um and like michelle said uh, that a uh, particular actor was in that uh playing a ghoul and it would, special effects were quite good as well yeah, I think I enjoyed that because uh, you mentioned like how things on set seem very realistic. Um, I think that even in like the behind the scenes, they had constructed this house special. It did not exist prior to this movie, um, but they added all the special effects of like blood bleeding through the walls, like um, to make it seem like the house 
was a living, breathing entity. And I kind of like making inanimate objects become animate, you know, breathing mm -hmm. items. And, so that's interesting. And Tara, I'm kind of rolling my eyes here because I'm looking at both of these two. And I just want them to what? mess up and acknowledge the real main what? reason why they like that film. And as well as the secondary reasons. So I think one of you should fess up. Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston stars in it. And uh, what are you talking about? Mia Wasikowska was amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she was. I'm sure you think she was Jessica too. Jessica but... Chastain, brilliant. Yes. I, Tom I Hiddleston agree. and Terming. If you want to tune in, we touch on that um, with these two in episodes 18 uh, on that. So I, I yep. want you all just to be oh, honest. Just, just, just be honest, okay? Just be honest, please. I guess we're staring off topic. I'll I'll give him I'll give whoever the costume person credit for those little tiny circular sunglasses and like the funeral garb that they all wore throughout the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. But speaking of special effects makeup, one of the best uh, makeup artists was Rick Baker. Uh, he did the thriller video, for mm. example. He did the American Werewolf in London movie where the main character transforms into a werewolf and it yeah. shows his like progression into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was so that was really crazy. Yeah. And the that was in the eighties. That was both in the eighties. Yeah, right? both in the eighties, yeah. Late eighties. Uh, it was amazing. He's amazing. I, I don't know if he's still around, but yeah. Um thriller was Great. I think because it's cool because it's not just those things. It's not just like they just show it and it's still and you're like, wow, that's so amazing. But like it's a person moving in it. Yeah. And stretching seeing, out. Stretching and... out, seeing it in motion and seeing the depth and dimension to that yeah. work. I think it really makes it like, oh, my gosh, it's not just this two dimensional like, oh, that's cool looking. But it's like it's moving. It's breathing. It's talking. It's blinking. Yeah. It's the transformation. The slow, heartbeat. slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. I think for me, when you were all mentioning about Crimson Peak, about the house coming alive, mm -hmm. I really like um, Coraline. It's, to me, one of the best scary animated films. It's all like mm -hmm. stop motion. And, you know, for some reason, it's after it's a children's book. I never really knew why, I guess, because it's kind of like a main character is about a child. But yeah. It's pretty scary. Quite lighthearted. Sorry? Yes. Neil Gaiman is quite like heart lighthearted. He yes, dark yeah. comedy. But like I read it, like I I was required reading in like third grade. Like my librarian would read that aloud to us mm -hmm. every day in in <clears throat> library class or something. I was like, this is kind of scary. <laughs> and the movie just just production wise totally impressive because it's like they did these everything is miniatures and they did it all mm. by hand. It's not CGI at all. You're like how mm -hmm. did they do that? Um, but I think that's yeah. When the house has is a whole character in itself. Oh, like the Crimson Peak House. Exactly. I think it's a really cool aspect to play on. Um, okay. Well, I feel like we should get into some music here to get, continuing the conversation. Not a huge shift. All yeah, right. I guess I'll mention Thriller. Hopefully, that's on somebody's list. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so first off, we're going to start with a relatively cheerful th uh, song. It's called The Magic of Halloween by um, uh, hopefully friend of the podcast, John Williams, um, who, who composed uh, many great uh, tunes and movies. Um, this one coming from E.T., The Extraterrestrial. What a classic. Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, it takes place around October, Halloween 
time, mm. hence the title. Um, and an iconic scene is uh, taking place during the course of the song. Um, you may know the, the, the logo of Steven Spielberg's um, production company, and it has that exact scene as it going over the moon. It's so, Amb- Amblin. Um, yeah, sorry, going across the moon. Um, so yeah, great, great song. Very optimistic. And then we descend into madness. Um, so the second song we've got, This is Halloween um, by the Citizens of Halloween from uh, Tim Burton's Night Before Christmas, um, which is, I, I thought it was like a nice kind of discordant, eerie song um, yeah. from like the villagers of Halloween Town. Um, have you guys seen Nightmare Before Christmas? I have. No. Yeah. It's, an, it's another interesting like animated, like, like I don't mean, I guess it could be scary, but I feel like Coraline was a lot scarier, but... I think it. I mean, I think it was meant. Is it's supposed to be scary in the way Monsters Inc. is scary? Like, it's yes, more mm. children rather than to be off-putting, because it is mostly about the spirit of Christmas. Spoiler. Yes. <laughs> um, but definitely a yeah. big impact on pop culture for sure, though. Oh yeah. I feel like it's. I know a lot of people that that's that's an annual movie that they watch. Yes. Yes. Sometimes a yeah. every other month movie. Um, yeah. Some people. Uh, the next one is yet another John Williams tune, the main title and first victim, as Spotify uh, so um, you two know, notes aptly describes it from Jaws. Two uh, notes, and yeah. your fate is sealed. Yep, half step, half step away, and that's where you're doomed. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's no escape. Uh, okay, and then next one, I have not seen this, but Michelle, you suggested it. This is the Halloween theme, main title. Oh, by, yeah. John. Um, by, so, by John Carpenter, right? Yeah. And Diane, you can, you can speak to this too, because I yes. don't know. Yes, uh, I don't know that John Carpenter wrote that. I think oh, it was another that. person, but um, yeah, I, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you just have to hear a few seconds of that, and you're pretty much on it. It's one of the few songs I have memorized on the piano. Oh no! And I like to play. I do play it I don't every know year. What that says about you. It's a cool song. It's a cool okay. song. It does. It does set the. If I had like a real spooky piano or something, you know, haunted mansion. Yeah. That's another cool film, like the Eddie Murphy film, the yeah. Disney. The Disney movie was other cool. That's pretty cool. With so the Ghost was in a fantastic uh, employment of that illusion. If you go into like Disney World or Disneyland, when you go into the haunted mansion uh, ride, ride yeah. Yeah. There, oh. I've um, done that before, the ride. It's pretty scary. To like the ballroom, and then you see these projections of ghosts, and like to see yes. that science and physics behind how that has been achieved is actually quite interesting. Yeah, they did a really great cool. job on that haunted hotel. Uh, you feel like you're in the movie, uh, and then there's a the ride portion of it is quite scary, actually. Well done. Oh, well, coming from was, coming from yeah, you. Yeah, well done. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. That's a lot. All right. Next tune is, uh, as you mentioned, Diane, um, from the movie Psycho. Um, it's called The Murder. It's very, uh, an, again, a very imaginative title. It's, this is by Bernard Herrmann. Um, and you've probably heard it, but now you know it's called The Murder. <laughs> um, yeah, iconic. Um, next one is called Desolation by Ennio Morricone from The Thing. Um, it doesn't exist on Spotify, so we'll put a YouTube link on it. Um, Michelle, you want to talk about the thing or the uh, song? It's, it's more like I kind of brought it up. It's to me, it's it's a scary film. 
but about, it's about like you know all the practical effects stuff of this like alien thing that's infecting a group of comrades um but this this song it's kind of i don't know if it is exactly the main theme of the movie but it does have this kind of haunting eeriness quietness it's very much like an ambient um, yeah tune that's just kind of off-putting yes is that yeah. the movie when they're up in the Arctic on some yes. expedition, scientific expedition? There's a yeah. group of so you're scientists. isolated up in the Arctic where it's dark okay. and cold, right. and you're stuck in like yeah. the research base, yeah. and you're close knit with with your kind of peers, and there's this weird thing infecting everybody, and you don't know mm-hmm. it's mutating and it's mm-hmm. crazy. a little bit like Alien, sort of. Yes, sort of. That's not. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I did look up who wrote the theme song to Halloween, and Stephanie was correct. It was John Carpenter, the movie and the song. Talented man. Multi-talented. Multi-talented, that's it. Um, Next one is uh, yet another Danny Elfman song. I think he, like, also helped out with Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, He, okay, Danny Elfman has quite a few ones with this title, but this one's from Beetlejuice. It's called Main Titles. I think he has it at Charlie and Chocolate Factory, and the main title is also called the title. Um, but yeah, I guess he, the first one he bashed out for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a, that was kind of a zany film too, a little bit Beetlejuice. Yeah. So the Adams Family is like the TV show, right? And then they made yes. this movie just for Beetlejuice, or was it the other way around? I don't know. Uh, the Adam Family was a TV series in the '60s um, right. that we used to watch, or maybe it was early '70s. I, I watched it at school too. Like we had Scooby Doo, and then right after that was Adam's Family. Oh, yeah, so maybe it was late '60s, early '70s. Okay. Um, and yeah, um, and then they had a, they remade it, um, like in the '90s, maybe. As a movie. As a movie. Adam's Adam's movie. It just came in 1988, so. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. show, then probably the movie came after. Okay, could, yeah, cool. could be, could have been, could have been, yeah. And it was just like the original that's, TV. That's series. Michael Keaton, right? As Beetlejuice. Yes. Very good makeup, and yeah, what a character that was, and he did a great job. You just, you almost, yeah. don't, you don't realize it's him. At least I didn't. No, he embodied the character very well. Yeah. Does it bear upon rewatching? Because I feel like a good film has good rewatch value. You know, I'm not a big Tim Burton fan, even though he did the Sleepy Hollow movie that was on my top ten list. But I, I feel his movies are a little bit odd. Okay, his fair enough. I don't. It's a little spacey. It's a little bit spacey. The humor is. I don't yeah. appreciate his sense of humor um, very much. So I know it's um, it's pretty revolutionary what he's done with his his take on things, but it's just not my cup of tea, if you will. I remember Beetlejuice was interesting, because not just because the characters are cool, Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton was really great, but also the, the set, the set was very mm-hmm. animated, the house, another like movie where the house is alive in a way, and how it transforms throughout the film, and they get kind of transported to these other dimensions and realms a little bit, mm-hmm. which is really neat how, yeah, from a filmmaking aspect, they're able to showcase that. That's what I recall. I'll have to rewatch that again. I, I do like Michael Keaton as an actor, so yeah, I'll have to give that another try. Cool. All right. Well, next song again. It's called. It's got the same name, just singular. Main title. Um, this is from Rosemary's Baby. Um, it's by a composer called 
Chris Christoph Kamita and Mia Farrow. I hope I'm saying Mr. Kamita's name right. Or yeah, Mia. it's an Eastern European. Right. Yeah, I don't spelling. know. I, I, I never, did see that movie. It's hey. the it's the song that's very kind of has this like light piano trilling to it. So it's kind of this is to me the genre of of like scary movie soundtracks where it's like it's like a nice peaceful lullaby song but because mm-hmm. you know the context it actually makes it terrifying yeah it's a dark it's dark but it on the song on its own it's like oh this is very sweet and lovely kind of like how some nursery rhymes are like ring around the rosy and you're like oh mm-hmm. it's lovely but then when you learn the context the backstory it's ruined forever yeah it's not yeah um yep sounds great well i mean now we go from gentle to intense. We have uh, Edvard Griegs in the Hall of the Mountain King. And we've mm-hmm. actually got two versions of this. We've got the original one that you probably have heard from Pierre Gunt. Um, and it's uh, so like the, the story, I think, or in this particular section, there is a mountain king. It's kind of a loose translation of um, uh, Heinrich Ibsen's like play, uh, Pierre Gunt. Um, and there is like this this king of the mountain who is like I think he rules over goblins and trolls and like all kinds of uh, underdwelling creatures, um, and so it gets more manic as the song progresses, um, and it's pretty incredible. I think it was used in Hannibal the TV show, um, and the second version of this is by Mannheim Steamroller, which I feel have modernized the song in a very interesting way. So recommend both. Do you guys have anything to add? Yeah, it's, it's a great scene from Fantasia. Um, yes, okay. I forgot about that, too. Yeah, that's that's the scene that I think best accurately depicts the song, because, yeah, you're saying the goblins and ghouls kind of come out of this mountain and cause havoc and bring up the dead from the cemetery, and there's these wild underworld dances happening and spirits, and the fact that it's the story that they come out around Halloween, right? Uh, on, yes. on Hollow's Eve, is where the dead... are kind of come back again and they're able to um, come out of their graves like in the cemetery and like move on to the next stage of life or death however you want to say it um, into the underworld so yeah that scene in Fantasia is depicts it very very well and you Diane you were going to say something as well oh I'm not familiar with those movies so I don't really have much to comment oh no worries um I think that's uh, another one when you hear it, you're like, oh, that song. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a common link for most songs on this list. You don't know what it's called. When mm-hmm. you hear it, you go, yep, that one. <laughs> with main title in the name, it's a little difficult to pin yeah. down sometimes, but when you've heard it, you know you've heard it before. <laughs> okay. Um, next one is a little, possibly a little more unusual, but I thought it went with the same vein of The Mountain King. It's uh, David Bowie's Within You from Labyrinth, the probably very underrated B-list movie. Because um, he is the Goblin King, and he is kind of ruling some kind of like fantasy island. A bit of a stretch, I know, but he's got lots of like weird creatures um, from Jim, Hen- Jim Henson's like puppet shop, um, which were like very interestingly created and made. Um, and David Bowie's like pursuing this girl, which yes, I know modern times does not pan out well, but it's kind of like a Hades and Persephone story where, you know, you've got mm-hmm. like this very powerful character, Lord of the Underworld or whatever. Um, and he's like pursuing this young, beautiful uh, girl person. Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it. 
That was one of her first roles, I think. She was a young teenager. So. Yeah. yeah. And she was supposed to like babysit her brother or something in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, like her the character's brother. Um, and then went off it's on like this a mix career. of like the Nutcracker, Alice in Wonderland, yeah. and like he's in Persephone, where this young girl travels to this other world and in order to rescue some people. Wizard of Oz, like that kind of yeah. trope theme. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So David Bowie did like half the the soundtrack to this movie, so that's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. <laughs> yeah, lucky them. Yeah. Um, okay, so next, um, I mean, he was in it as well. Um, and so the next one we've got is yet another like classical music piece, Night on Bald Mountain by Modest Mussorgsky. Um, again, we've got like the, uh, the, like, the original traditional sounding version. Um, Len Bernstein and uh, the New York Philharmonic kind of helped out. Again, this is in Fantasia. This is the one I remember in Fantasia. Like, oh, maybe I got this confused. Sorry. Um, there's like a Balrog on a mountain and uh, like demons and bats and like yes. I got it mixed up. Mm -hmm. um, as as like this, the music builds up to a crescendo and it's like very horrifying and uh, like weird. The hurricane thunderstorm things are starting to 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 roll around, boil around. It's a great word. Um, and <laughs> there's another version again by Mannheim Steamroller. They've you know like taken it and made it a little more fun. Like maybe you don't get so much of the onerous, intense stuff, but you still get kind of like the, um, the heavy, but like a little more lighthearted too. So it's just an interesting take. Definitely recommend both. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Next one, we've got an American Horror Story tune. Michelle, you want to introduce this? This is. I would relate this to like the Rosemary Babies theme. Um, so again, very sweet and lullaby sounding um but when you as i kind of explain the context it was american horror story the tv show um this was i think mainly for the coven season i don't remember what is that a season six or something um but about the witches but it's just this it's kind of crazily simple where it's just the all lyrics are just at this kind of haunted female vocalist saying la 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 like over mm. and over mm -hmm. but then it gets creepy after a while um, okay. Because of the stuff that is happening. Yeah. For some reason, though, I actually like the song, so I found like a ten-hour loop of it on YouTube, and I would study to it in undergrad. Okay. <laughs> and everyone thought I was insane. <laughs> but it's very monotonous, repetitive. But yeah, that's my feel on it. Um, kind of in that in that vein um, of of like you don't know the context, um, and so it would it sound pretty pleasant if you hear it without knowing what it kind of ties to. Um, I've got two songs that were used in the Hannibal TV show, uh, which are classical music, so they seem innocuous to the uninitiated. <laughs> um, uh, Hannibal, uh, you know, for, for your context in Terrabang, uh, it's about uh, someone who loves to eat people. But in the show, he also loves to eat just fine dining. Usually, like duck pate, you know, fancy cuisine. He makes his own stuff. He's like top chef, great. Um, you Some know, really great there. scenes there and how they're shot, <laughs> and it makes you very hungry. And then when they interchange it with actual his victims, you get kind of confused because mm. you're like, it's not necessarily his victims, sometimes other people's victims, and you know, mm -hmm. they they still. But there's a lot of like, I guess, um, visceral gore that is present the horror yeah. version of the food network yeah no, thanks. i love it 
Um, I used to eat food when I when the show was coming out. I used to eat food and and watch the show and oh, I what? Ate, but yeah, I'm just hungry and I'm just trying to give myself a break from my normal stuff. So um, my normal like work, you know, or, or or study stuff. So I was you know just 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 passing the time, just watching. Oh, the show. Like you, you like I said, it's all rational to me. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, just you know something to pass the time. Anyway, so the two songs are um, Bach. Box Gold Variation, um, from part one, I think it's like an aria, um, and it's like this, this lovely piano. Um, uh, I think they use it in like quite a few episodes, and it's just, it's just, it's like if you invite someone to a dinner party and you just want to be a little classy, you just kind of play them a little Bach Goldberg variation, so it's just you know, <laughs> nice, nice ambient, you know, pleasant tune. Um, and then I think they've also used it juxtaposed with, I think, like a murder scene or, you know, as something's being carried out. I could be totally misquoting this, but people who um, have seen the show, please don't hate me. Um, <laughs> it's a great use. And I, to me, that's like, if I ever hear this tune, I'm like, oh, yes, this was in Hannibal. Um, and it's just it's, it's great. It could be used for like a pre-murder scene, during murder scene, whatever you want. It's very versatile. <laughs> And the following one is a song by Mozart. It's called Lacrimosa from his Requiem in D minor. And this one's like a very heavy choral piece. It It's very mournful and dirge-like. Those are um, the last things he ever wrote, wasn't Mozart, before he passed. Yes. I mean, like, you could say that he was almost prescient in order, you know, to, to like, create his own funeral tune. Um, mm -hmm. And tune is putting it very lightly. It's like a, it's a, ooh, it's a huge masterpiece. Um, it's very, like, Operatic's not the right word, but it's just very dramatic. Um, and and this is like angels are coming, descending down from heaven, mm -hmm. and demons are filtering up from underworld. And there's a huge battle happening, and it's, everything's happening in slow mo. And you don't hear any of the crazy, uh, raucous cacophony of the two sides clashing. You just hear this music, and that's just kind of portraying the two sides in great conflict. And similar in Hannibal it's used uh in, in similar effect like good you know dying profusely and the bads just being very triumphant and it's it's a great to me this is a, a great example of what i mentioned about um totally good for you to say something diane i thought i heard you speak up no I'm not familiar with much of this music so i don't have much to comment no, all i was gonna say was Stephanie said, you know, she was eating while she's watching this Hannibal show and I just or when she hears the music, you know, I'm just thinking, I, I don't know if I'd have an appetite just linking whatever song that is to that particular show with I the subject matter and then you're eating a sandwich <laughs> or anything and it's like, oh, I, I just I couldn't do it. A roast beef pastrami sandwich doesn't sound or wondering if somebody's fingers in my sandwich or no. Mm -hmm. I, I, the visual will be too strong for me. <laughs> Can't do it. It's a beautiful show. <laughs> in many in many ways. Yeah, I, I just can't handle the cannibalism part. Even if it's, you know, fake. But still, just the imagery. This would stick in my way. I, I think... They they don't really leak that out until, what, like, some of the later seasons. So, like, for the first couple well, seasons... I guess the audience knows because of all the the lead the up character's to name. Um, yeah, the character's right. name. Yeah. Like the the um, I mean the actor like handle is it's, it's Matt it's Mads Mickelson who's a very suave Le Chief from Casino Royale the, yeah. the, the Daniel Craig Casino Royale so 
is very smooth Danish guy. Yeah, so he, yeah, okay. Very, very yeah. refined, refined. Very taste. refined. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it, it fits the part. Like, does the part so well. He's okay. a psychologist, so he's like in a res somewhat respectful profession, you know. Um, and and he seems like a point of um, guidance more than a psychopath that only okay. becomes revealed, you know, in subsequent seasons where there's just absolute madness and chaos. But for the beginning, it seemed, you know, the construct is everything is as it should be. <laughs> and then so he, he rides a fine line between madness and sanity. Absolutely. And it's just beautifully executed, I think. And there's a lot of symbolism in it and you can really dig deep. And to me, that's, that's like the true uh, grit and, and it's good storyline stuff. So, yeah, that's it. And OK, so final song. Uh, we thought we'd close out on a high rather than a dirge. Mm -hmm. So um, we are submitting to you, loyal listener, um, Thriller by Michael Jackson. What a classic. Classic uh, for sure. Kinda, As like, I mentioned earlier about the Rick Baker makeup um, in, that, in that video. And yeah. the ever popular Vincent Price, who yes. was a big 1950s and 60s actor. And his voice is just lends itself so well. To a narrator. I, love, I love the laugh at the end that he does. The evil yes, laugh is laugh, so evil great. Laugh. Do we know who the choreographer was? Because I want to give a big shout out to that person because that dance has been made iconic. Uh, no, I don't know. I let me look, look it up, up real quick. Okay. But I, I know I've learned it. Um, it's it's really, it's hard. Uh, Michael well, Peters. Michael Peters? I don't know. Mm -hmm. What else has he done? He did Thriller and Beat It. Oh, Michael, Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. Pretty great guy. Yeah. Dance choreography. <laughs> yes, all amazing. So, yeah. All right. So that is our Halloween episode. And happy, happy Halloween, everybody. Be safe. Have a Be good safe time. Safe Thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this special special episode with our friend of the podcast, Diane. Thank you for coming back for a third time. You're welcome. And anytime. We'll have a good and not spooky evening, everybody. <laughs> Try not to be too creeped out by our podcast tonight. Exactly. And hopefully we touched on some movies and TV shows that you might want to check out uh, to, add to, your, add to your list. And music, too. Music as well. For your listening pleasure. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.